What? 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 I know how we can run everybody out of Rock Creek. How? We'll kill the firstborn male child in every household. Too Jewish. Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest this morning is comedian Wendy Liebman, headliner of the upcoming Kung Pao Comedy Show. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at 2JewishRadio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on 2Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. 2Jewish is paid for by 2Jewish Radio Programs and Podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and 2Jewish. Shalom. Hanukkah is over now, which means that we Jews can sit back and just nod our heads at all the crazy rushing around everybody does for their own holidays these last couple of weeks of December. I mean, we did a whole lot of rushing around ourselves last week and the week before, so it's a bit of a relief to relax and watch somebody else rush now. I must make one more Hanukkah comment. A leftover one, this one about first gentleman Doug Emhoff, husband to Vice President Kamala Harris, who is Jewish. Well, not Kamala Harris, Doug Emhoff is. Anyway, he posted a picture of himself lighting the Hanukkah with a remarkable version of the Hanukkah story. In his telling, he said Hanukkah commemorates a time when Jews had to hide from persecution for eight days and nights. But they only had enough oil to last for a little while, but the oil lasted all the eight days that they had to hide. Well, not exactly. As every five-year-old Jewish kid knows, we Jews had to fight for our religious freedom, and when we recaptured the temple in Jerusalem... There was only enough oil to light the menorah for one day, but that oil lasted for eight. You know, if you're going to screw up a Jewish story, this is not the one to mess up. I mean, it's probably the best known and most told Jewish tale after the exodus from Egypt. I wonder where Doug Emhoff went to Hebrew school and if he flunked out. In any case, I hope everybody had a great Hanukkah. Now, if you haven't yet cleaned your Hanukkah menorahs yet, the best way to do so is to pour very hot water on them to melt the wax and then dry them off thoroughly before you put them away until next year. Next year, by the way, Hanukkah begins December 25th. Just 373 more shopping days to go. With Hanukkah in the rearview mirror, we're now approaching the end of 2023. And I'm just not sure what to make of it all. As a Jew and a rabbi, so much of what happened before October 7th has receded into memory, having been replaced by the sense of intense shock and ongoing crisis ever since that dark day. Things don't look at all the same to me now as they did before Hamas's horrific attack and the brutal atrocities they perpetrated. The war that these Palestinian terrorists began that day has brought great destruction, especially to their own people, 
and catalyzed waves of anti-Semitic actions and attitudes all around the world that we mistakenly believed were no longer possible in 2023. It's going to be hard to balance the insanity with which this year is ending with the nine months that preceded it all. Wish me luck with next week's Two Jewish Show. I'll do my best to figure out what it has all meant. To play us in this morning, here's Yagel Oshri's song about overcoming depression, Latzet Midikaon. It's become a kind of theme song for Israel during this war with Hamas. I promise good days are coming. המשפחה, חברים, אולי לצאת לבילויים שיחות עמוקות, שיחות של הנפש בלילה להתמודד עם שינויים, ההרגלים הישנים הנשמה במלחמה עם הקרמה עוד יבואו ימים טובים, אני מבטיח עוד יבואו ימים טובים גם בשעות החשוכות של הלילה תמיד יהיה כוכב קטן שיעיר לך את עצמך, את הדרך הביתה תמיד זה הכי חשוך לפני הזריחה מיליון רכבות דוהרות עד אוסטרליה מחפש רחוק את מה שנמצא לך מתחת לאף כל מכשול זה מדליה קם ונופל אבל בדרך שלך לקפוץ למים עמוקים, לשחות עד הסוף, להגיע לחוף עד הלילה להאזין גם לשירים, כי זמרים הם הרופאים הכי טובים שיש למדע להציע עוד יבואו ימים טובים, אני מבטיח עוד יבואו ימים טובים גם בשעות החשוכות של הלילה תמיד יהיה כוכב קטן שיעיר לך את עצמך, את הדרך הביתה תמיד זה הכי חשוך לפני הזריחה מיליון רכבות דוהרות עד אוסטרליה מחפש רחוק את מה שנמצא לך מתחת לאף כל מכשול זה מדליה קם ונופל אבל בדרך שלך That was Yagil Oshri's excellent song about coming back from being down. Our guest this morning is the delightful comedian Wendy Liebman. She is the headliner of the Kung Pao comedy show in a Chinese restaurant scheduled for December 23rd to 25th in San Francisco and online. It's the way we Jews celebrate that holiday, right? Wendy Liebman joins us in just a moment here on Too Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki Tribe. To welcome our guest this morning, here's some of one of her stand-up routines. 
I majored in English, because I'm also a writer. I write, um, they're mostly Czechs. They, um, they're not very good. They, they uh, mostly fiction, but they're paperless. We are delighted to welcome to Two Jewish, Wendy Liebman. She is a marvelous stand-up comedian, funny, charming, uh, and, and even mostly clean, to be totally honest. She's performing in San Francisco at a remarkable event that happens on Christmas, and we'll tell you all about it. Good morning, and welcome to Two Jewish. Good morning. Thank you for all those accolades. We met five minutes ago, so... Well, so when I get to know you better, I may change my mind. You know, okay. it's okay. Um, Did you say I was clean? Well. <laughs> you mean my comedy. Your comedy. Your comedy. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Um, okay. it, it's, I had the privilege of watching some of your clips online. Uh, I haven't had the chance of seeing you in person, but you have appeared on uh, all of the late night talk shows and have had some, many of your own specials. Tell us how you got into stand-up comedy. I mean, you, you went to a good college. This can't be what your parents dreamed of for you. Well, my parents still think I'm a third-grade teacher living in Akron, Ohio, so they are not um, aware. I'm, that's a joke. I, I, so I thought it might be. I went to Wellesley College in Massachusetts, and I was studying to be a therapist or I studied psychology, and then my first job was working at Mass Mental Hospital. And I found that that was so um, depressing that I wanted to do something at night that was uh, not depressing. So I decided to take a class at the Cambridge Center for Adult Education. And at first, I took an acting class because I had always done theater in high school and at camp. I was Eliza in My Fair Lady, and I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And um, so I started taking the acting class, and in the middle of the first class, the teacher quit during the break. <laughs> <laughs> was it your fault? <laughs> what? Was it your fault? It was not my fault. I am not taking the, the blame. Uh, I think he just realized it was nothing he wanted to do. So the Cambridge Center said, pick another class. And I don't know why I hadn't seen this class the first time going through the catalog, but uh, there was a class called How to Be a Stand-Up Comedian. And when I saw that title, I it was like I heard uh, angels singing, mm. <laughs> like I thought, Oh, that's perfect for me. And I forgot to mention, Rabbi, that I only got the course catalog when I took the mail in from the wrong apartment. So it was really so Bashert. It really was Bashert. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah, it was absolutely Bashert. It was really yes, meant to be. It um, totally was. And so um, I took this class with about six other people and it really was an excuse to get together and have fun but a few of us went on and performed in clubs around Boston and as soon as I started making more money at my night job than my day job I 
I pursued it full time. In the interest of full disclosure, my middle son, Gabe, has a day job that pays him very well, but he does stand-up comedy every night. I'm, I'm very grateful for the Every day night? Job. Every night, like six nights a week now. He's been doing this for a couple wow. of years. Wow. So, um, well, good luck to him. Where is he performing? Uh, in Southern California, um, in Orange County primarily. And uh, I, all I can say as a father is, I'm so glad he has a day job. That's <laughs> well, you know, he should follow his passion. And um, I think my parents' take on it was whatever makes me happy, um, happiest. And I just knew once I started, I, I wasn't always very good, but I knew in my heart that I was in the right place and I just needed experience. Um, well, good luck to Gabe. Thank I'm you. I'm going to look out. For, I'm going to Google him because I love just seeing new comedy, discovering comedy. I think we all need to laugh, especially right now. Oh my God, yes. I wa uh, we will come back in just a couple of moments with Wendy Liebman, who is headlining the 31st annual Kung Pao Kosher Comedy on Christmas at a Chinese restaurant coming up shortly. Um, we'll be here in just a moment on Too Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in northwest Tucson, Catalina Foothills, celebrates a great array of services, classes, and events this winter. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. Progressive congregation in northwest Tucson and the foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services or come on our Facebook page. We're on Facebook Live for all of our services. We welcome members and guests in person, though. Call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675. Religious schools available for school-aged children and grandchildren. Our fabulous Hebrew school, Barnbot Mitzvah programs, Torah Tykes experience, confirmation and teen programs, all available in a fun, relaxed setting of great Jewish learning. Go to Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org to sign up. Beit Simcha's services, classes, and events are open to everyone. Come in person Friday night, 6.30 p.m., Shabbat services, followed by Oneg Shabbat, Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Torah study, and 10 a.m. services, all with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, leading them. You can come on our Facebook page as well. It's Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson. Our musical services are in-person and virtual. All of our Delta Education Academy classes are live and on Zoom. You can find out about all of those at our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org. Our wonderful religious school is available now, too. For more information about Beit Simcha, to come to services, religious school, Torah Tykes programs, Barn Bat Mitzvah, Confirmation, high school programs, and rich array of adult education academy courses taught live and on Zoom, and all of our services in person and on Facebook, go to 
B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org, Beitsimcha Tucson.org, or call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675, Beitsimcha Tucson.org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, in the fastest-growing and most dynamic Jewish congregation in all of Southern Arizona. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, a kvetch or a kvel, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T O O, JewishRadio18 at gmail, or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, streaming us from there, or downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store, as very popular Jewish podcasts. Top 10 in America, Corner Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean and on Spotify. Post a rating, review to Jewish, wherever you listen to us, those comments help. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen. 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, Our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. So there is a perception that I think is wrong, and I know you think is wrong, that the war in Gaza is about Muslims versus Jews, or Jews versus Muslims, or Judaism versus Islam. I think almost nothing could be further from the truth. Um, But let's explain that. Yeah, well, first of all, a lot of Islamic scholars, clergy, teachers, etc., completely repudiate Hamas's goals, its means, its ideology, whatever. I mean, Hamas is a political organization that makes a lot of money, and its leaders have gotten very rich off their ideology, um, but it has very little to do with Islam. And you, you've probably seen on social media, there have been repeated appearances by a guy who's the son of one of the founders of Hamas, where he completely denounces everything Hamas does is un-Islamic, and, you know, Islam is committed to peace. The root of Islam is shalom, yeah. peace. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people blame organized religion for all kinds of ills and all kinds of violence. Whereas, in fact, it's usually more tribal or familial or even personal and not really about organized religion. Also, the Arabs in both inside of Israel and in sort of broader Palestine, whatever that means, include not only Muslims, but Christians of all stripes and people who are sort of questionably Muslims, like the Druze. Um, you know, they're... And then there's a the whole question of nationality versus religion in the sense that we imagine wrongly that all Arabs are Muslims. Not the case. Lots of Arabs are Christian. And we conversely imagine that all Muslims are Arabs. And we conveniently forget all the Turks and the Persians and the Afghanis and the Indonesians in the world, which are many millions of people. In fact, it's probably safe to say that the majority of Muslims in the world are not Arabs. But we conveniently confute the two. And this is something, you've heard me rant and rave about this before, so you won't be surprised. <laughs> but, you know, the American public wants simple, short explanations. They want a black hat and a white hat, and they want a happy ending. So journalism skews towards what the customer wants, and it doesn't present the complexities. Most people in America do not know that the majority of Muslims are not Arabs. They just tend to confute the two because it's easier. You know... Um I mean, all of that's correct. And and by the way, there are tremendous differences between between Muslim groups, between Shia and Sunni, but right. and, and then the many different, the Alawites and the Yazidis and, and all of these. Centuries sort of, of warfare between Shia right. and Sunni. I mean, much more violent than anything we see in the Middle East today. Right. Since the Since first the century right. of Islamic history. Yeah, for like 1,500 years this has been happening almost, 1,400, 1,500 right. years. Um, I, I think it's important to understand that, uh, first of all, the world's more complicated than we like to make it, but everything in the Middle East is more complicated than most of us think of. As is everything in the Balkans. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. that that's a problem because oversimplification and avoiding complexities and shades of gray leads to bad policy making and the west has a history of making bad policy when it comes to the islamic world for um a really long time right tom thanks so much we will talk next week i look forward to it it's time now for our old jewish joke of the week jewish humor your bubby and zadie new brought to you by two jewish as a public service A menorah is what you place in your window in order to let Chinese restaurants know where to deliver food December 24th and December 25th. That was the Old Jewish Joke of the Week special feature of Two Jewish, just for you. You should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. 
This week's portion of Vayigash begins with the climax of the great Joseph story that fills the last part of the book of Genesis. Joseph is now the powerful ruler of Egypt, richest country of the ancient world. His miraculous ascent from slavery and prison to the heights of political power is the stuff that dreams are made of. Joseph is the master of all he surveys, subservient only to a pharaoh, a king who trusts him completely. Joseph is handsome, rich, hugely powerful. As a wife and two fine sons, he's completely assimilated into Egypt's elegant culture and still comparatively young. The world sits at his manicured feet. But wait. Into this idyllic scene blunder Joseph's early tormentors, the very half-brothers who taunted him and beat him up. These are the conniving thugs who stripped him and tossed him into a pit in the earth and sat down to eat lunch, debating in his hearing whether to kill him or just abandon him to thirst and starvation, and then sold him into slavery in a foreign land. Now, twenty years later, he has had the opportunity to return the favor, to exact at least a psychological vengeance on these half-brothers. After a sequence of twists and turns, Joseph manipulates them into a state of confusion and terror. He unmans these arrogant, unruly rural ruffians into fearful submission. Joseph has had a dish of revenge served cold and seems to be enjoying it. And then something changes. Perhaps Joseph simply tires of psychologically torturing his half-brothers. Perhaps it is that he's finally seen his full brother Benjamin again, only living reminder of his dead mother Rachel. Perhaps it is that the fullest measure of revenge is magnanimity. Or maybe it's simply that Joseph's exceptional ability to act pragmatically exerts itself. He must end the cat-and-mouse game one way or another. Or maybe it's the stirring confessional speech his powerful half-brother Judah delivers that finally brings Joseph to a new place psychologically. Here, near the beginning of Ayigash, in the dramatic high point of this story, Joseph chooses to reunite with his family. He sends away his advisors, his counselors, his courtiers. He cries out in a voice loud enough to be heard throughout Egypt, it says, telling his brothers that he is Joseph. Weeping now, he embraces his brother Benjamin and asks, Is my father still alive? One can imagine the shock of that moment even now, 3,600 years after these events. The brothers may have had an inkling that he was indeed Joseph. It's implied in the story. But the full revelation still must have been stunning. Their worst fears are realized. They have been and are now completely in the power of a despised half-brother they comprehensively wronged. What will happen now? Joseph moves immediately. He reassures them, relieves their fears. He gently reminds them that he is the authority now. Everybody will move down to Egypt and live in land he provides. His father Jacob comes down to Egypt too. The family is reassembled, but in a different configuration for the unquestioned new patriarch, the leader, the power is Joseph. And this great story will continue in a new land and in a new and unexpected direction. 
You know, there's something about this Joseph story that compels us to examine our assumptions about how things work in the world. Unpredictable things occur. What we expect is often not what happens. Fate plays a role. And in the best of circumstances, and with God's help, our own actions, like Joseph's, may begin with base motivations and yet still rise to a level of magnanimity and grace. When we come back in a moment, our guest this morning, the terrific comedian Wendy Liebman, headlining the 31st annual Kung Pao Kosher Comedy at a Chinese Restaurant on Christmas show this year, rejoins us right here on Two Jewish. We continue with our Two Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. President of Pennsylvania University, Penn, Liz McGill, resigned last week under fire for her inability to condemn calls for Jewish genocide, as did the chair of the board of the Ivy League University. McGill, along with the presidents of Harvard and MIT, was called to testify before Congress a little while back about the tremendous level of anti-Semitism on college campuses since the Hamas atrocities of October 7th, particularly about the anti-Semitic rallies and public statements by students and professors at those prominent universities. None of the three presidents would agree that calls for the genocide of Jews was automatically to be considered hate speech or against the policies of the university. So far, only Penn's McGill has resigned, as the boards and to some degree the alumni of the two Boston-area elite universities have mostly backed their presidents, in spite of the obvious moral blindness that prevents them from seeing that calls for genocide of anyone, well, those are ethically indefensible. If the student groups and university professors, some of them tenured, who were quoted calling for Jewish genocide, had instead demanded the genocide of, say, Greeks, or Hutus, or Guatemalans, or Aboriginal Australians, or Muslims, there is no doubt University administrations would have fallen all over themselves to condemn them and expel the perpetrators of such hate speech. Imagine what would have happened if Jewish student groups had called for the genocide of Palestinians. Nope, it's only acceptable in the name of free speech to call for the murder of Jews and the genocide of Israelis and Jews everywhere in the world. Otherwise, you're not allowed to do it on American university campuses. But demand the annihilation and mass murder of Jews? That's protected speech. McGill's performance before Congress was egregiously embarrassing to anyone who believes in the moral standing of American universities, our former bastions of actual ideas. But the other presidents called to Congress with her, including Harvard's Claudine Gay and Sally Kornbluth, MIT's president, also had trouble answering forthrightly. 
for Kornbluth, who is Jewish. This is particularly ironic, isn't it? Well, Gay of Harvard wasn't any better. When asked in Congress if calling for the genocide of Jews would violate Harvard's code of conduct, Gay said it depended on the context, adding that when speech crosses into conduct, that violates our policies. You know, it takes a lot for me to agree with anything U.S. Representative Elise Stefanik says. She's an election denier and a bomb thrower in Congress, but I'm actually forced to agree with her about Harvard and its president. Stefanik said there have been absolutely no updates to Harvard's code of conduct to condemn the calls for genocide of Jews and protect Jewish students on campus. The only update to Harvard's code of conduct is to allow plagiarists as president. That last is a snide reference to the claims of black political scientist Carol Swain, corroborated by investigative reporters, who says that Claudine Gay plagiarized her work and that of other scholars' writings without attribution in her Ph.D. dissertation itself and in three other published papers over about a 14-year period. Harvard has investigated and found unattributed quotes by its president, Gay, but chose to say that these lack of attributions did not quite rise to the level of plagiarism. So, Gay's holding on to her job so far, but if you think the codes of conduct at American universities have any connection with actual morality, well, my friends, you are deeply mistaken. And U.S. universities and colleges should not continue to be the recipients of the huge donations people have been giving them in the mistaken belief that they represent something meaningful or moral. They do not. Donate to a synagogue instead where values are actually taught and lived. We must return to a basic statement that simply cannot be lawyered or argued away. Calling for genocide, the annihilation and murder of an entire people, is morally indefensible. It is wrong in such a profound way that no organization or institution or social media entity or government or court or rational human being can possibly pretend that calling for genocide isn't completely wrong. Pure and simple, this is hate speech. It should be banned. For God's sake, if you call for the genocide of anyone, you should be banned. In many countries, you would be arrested and charged with a crime. Germany, for example. Any Jews who call for the genocide of Palestinians should be locked up, in my opinion, whether it's here or in Israel. But no one is calling for the genocide of Palestinians. Instead, on campuses all across the country and around the world, they are calling for the genocide of Jews. To shout for the murder of Jews, well, of all the Jews in the world, less than 80 years after it was attempted by one of the most powerful nations on earth during the seven-year campaign of Holocaust horrors, in which six million people were murdered, a third of all Jews then alive, and more than half of all the Jews of Europe, well, to call in a post-Holocaust world for genocide is a disgusting level of evil that the presidents of some of the most prestigious universities in America and the world cannot recognize. 
and to pretend that it can't quickly metastasize from words to violence is to deny all the evidence of history, including the last two months when we have seen anti-Semitic violence spike in the United States, including on college campuses. Look, this is a shocking and terrible time. There have been rallies to boycott Jewish businesses in Philadelphia and New York and elsewhere. There have been physical attacks on Jewish students and on older Jews too in the name of solidarity with Hamas Palestinian terrorist murderers. But we must expect, indeed demand, better of our hugely expensive and publicly funded university communities. This is egregious immorality dressed up as intellectual academia. It must change. And the sooner and the more dramatically, the better. Now, lest you think that anti-Semitism is just coming from the left-wing world, we have the monsters of the far right in Poland to remind us otherwise. Gregor's Braun, 56 years old, the leader of the monarchist party in Poland, marched up to a freshly lit Hanukkah menorah marking the holiday and doused it with a fire extinguisher in full view of dozens of observers before launching into an anti-Semitic tirade on the Polish parliament's debating floor. The uproar capped a turbulent 24 hours as the right-wing Law and Justice Party that governed Poland for eight years lost its last attempt to cling to power. Donald Tusk instead returned as prime minister, vowing to make his country a leading force in the European Union. Braun, a zealous Catholic and polemical documentary maker with a long record of anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic statements, said he had been trying to restore a state of normality and described the celebration of Hanukkah in the Polish parliament building as an act of satanic triumphalism. Yeesh. Look who Satan really is. Braun was excluded from the lower house of Poland's parliament after inviting MPs and other observers to a theological and historical debate about Judaism, claiming there could be no place for acts of racist, tribal, savage Talmud worship. The governing council immediately voted to strip Braun of half his salary and allowances for three months. Half. Sisman Holonia, the chamber's new speaker, said he would also lodge a report on the incident with the local prosecutor. Yaakov Livne, the Israeli ambassador to Poland, said he had taken part in the lighting ceremony just minutes before Braun extinguished the candles. Banish this darkness now, Livne wrote. And Mark Brzezinski, the American ambassador in Warsaw, said he was appalled by the vicious anti-Semitic act. This disgusting act of hatred reminds us all why we must remain vigilant and fight anti-Semitism every minute of every day. And that's the two Jewish news of Jews round the world. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. 
the most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of southern Arizona. Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful, grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome back our guest with another sample of her terrific stand-up comedy. Actually, lately my husband's been asking me to bring another woman home. Yeah. Not for sex, for cooking. We are delighted to welcome back to Two Jewish. Our guest this morning, comedian Wendy Liebman, is a wonderful comedian. Um, I should note that she's a full month younger than I am, so uh, a very just a mere child. Um, she's headlining the 31st annual Kung Pao Kosher Comedy, Jewish Comedy on Christmas in San Francisco, coming up December 23rd to 25th. Um, I, I have to ask you, Wendy, what was your first joke that you told in public? I think, well, okay, so the joke was, I'm a writer, I write checks, <laughs> they're mostly fiction. <laughs> and I wrote that, Rabbi, because I was taking a writing class, and the teacher, it was creative writing, and the teacher was this um, famous writer named Annie Dillard, and oh. she... She didn't take me back the second semester, and but she didn't tell me. And there were three of us in the classroom waiting. And when she read the roster, uh, the three of us slunked out of the room in shame. And one of the other students said, are you still going to write fiction? And I said, I'm not even going to write a check. And so that was the impetus for that joke. Uh, and I appreciate Annie Dillard for <laughs> turning me <laughs> on to comedy. To boy, my- boy it, that changes my whole opinion of Annie Dillard, who writes these gentle, thoughtful... Well, never mind then. Um, I know. Well, I've since spoken with her and told her, and I've read publicly that she appreciates humor, so... I do feel like she instilled something in me. She she got you on the right path in any case. Um, Exactly. And I always say, like, when a door closes, uh, it's not rejection so much as direction. So I just walked away from that and walked into comedy. So comedy, I mean, it's such it seems to me that stand up comedy is about the hardest thing you can do. Um, uh, not necessarily physically, but you're constantly trying jokes, and a lot of them don't fly, right, the first time? 
Uh, it's interesting. Sometimes I'll tell a new joke and it will get a laugh. And then after that, it won't. So <laughs> there's like the first time I've told a joke, there might be a different energy about it. Um, so it's really hard. It's really, yeah, it is hard, but it's also hard physically. You said it wasn't, but as I've gotten older, I will be, um, depleted the next day. Um, or as in this case, I'm performing six shows. I will take a few days off after that, after I, I'm at Kung Pao. And this is a new venue for Kung Pao. It used to be at a different Chinese restaurant this year. It's at the Imperial Palace. So I'm looking forward oh, ah. to the food. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be great, actually. Um, I, Who influenced you and who continues to influence you in your comedy work? So I started, I mean, I guess I always loved Woody so, so, Allen. Sorry, I should say your comedy stylings, I, you know. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I just love comedy in general. I did. I loved Woody Allen when I was growing up and Lily Tomlin. And honestly, Cher made me laugh and Flip Wilson. And then my dad used to take me to see um, the Harlem Globetrotters. And I just fell in love with laughing and uh then i started watching gary shandling who i think from tucson arizona by the way gary shandling jewish guy yep yep and um joan rivers and uh then when i got more into it myself i appreciated rita rudner and paula poundstone and David Letterman, and um, I would watch the comedians around me, which is, I think, how you learn your own art is, is studying the people around you. And that was Jonathan Katz and Kevin Meany and Don Gavin and Brian Kylie and Laura Keitlinger. And I mean, so many, so many, there's so many funny people. There are. Yeah. At that time, there were, fewer now everybody's comedian including gabe cohan (laughs) (laughs) gabe little shout out to you there um jewish comedians were sort of well it was almost uh synonymous right there's so many great jewish comedians um that's changed a bit uh you don't have. You've noted that in the past that you don't have like the deepest Jewish background, but of course you're Jewish. Um, t- tell us a little bit about how it's influenced your comedy. Um, well, I am ninety nine point five percent, according to Twenty Three and Me, ninety nine point five percent Ashkenazi, and um, I don't know what the other is, like <laughs> mutt. <laughs> I I feel like uh, there's a part of me that wants to be accepted and um I, it's a strange personality dichotomy. It's a crazy thing to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> you have to be a little crazy. And um but I'm not answering your question about being Jewish. I don't really talk about being Jewish on stage, but I feel the need more now to talk about it just because of what's going on in the world. 
Um, but I think just the people around me were always really funny. And so that's a way to communicate. Um, yeah, I've often thought that the the easiest way to deal with hard things in life is to joke about them. It's the Jewish way so often. Um, exactly. And my husband is Jewish, and he's the funniest person I know, although he's very shy, and he would never do stand-up, so sometimes he'll give me a joke, <laughs> or he'll say something and I'll write it down. And... um he comes from a musical background. Yes, his his um, father was one of the Sherman brothers, right, who wrote like Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty yes. Bang Bang and huge, huge number of successful songs for films, right? Yes, um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and they wrote the song It's a Small World. Yeah, and... we can forgive them for that. But... <laughs> Um, and my husband is also very musical, and both his sons are. So there's like a, a language or gene that has been passed down, and uh, and the comedy. Everybody in his family was funny as well. So, like, sense of humor, I think, is a really underrated sense. Um, I say I'm losing all my senses, like even my hindsight isn't twenty twenty anymore. <laughs> but my sense of humor gets sharper as I get older. And that's sense of humor is my favorite sense. Um, Wendy, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, and I definitely want to plug the Kung Pao Kosher Comedy at a Chinese restaurant coming up 23rd, 25th in San Francisco. It's also, there's an online uh, registration for it too, right? It's so great this year because I've done this gig about five, time, five times in 31 years that it's been going on. And so you're like a sixth of the history of the gig. Six, so. okay. I couldn't remember if it was five or six. Yeah. Um, and the um, this is the first year that you're going to be able to watch it from your living room, which is brilliant. You don't have to leave. You don't have to leave your couch to watch a comedy show. Rich Aronovich is going to be on, and Talia Reese. I can't wait to see her. I I love Rich. I've seen his comedy. I haven't seen Talia. I love seeing new comedy. Um, and of course, Lisa Gadelzig and her mom on video are going to be. On it, Lisa started this 31 years ago, and she's just been, she's amazing. Um, you can find me at wendyliebman.com, L-I-E-B-M-A-N, and I'm also on all of the social media sites. And and very funny on all of them, I must add. Thank um, you so much. I try to mix it up. I, I try not to tell the same jokes. And also on my Facebook page, I do uh, joke writing prompts. So I'll say, for example, this is the fortune cookie I got. And then I'll give a few examples like, please pay server. Um, that wasn't. Uh, meat in your wonton, <laughs> something like that. And then my cat uh, is missing. Exactly, yeah. uh. and then a hundred people will chime in and write their own jokes, and it's gotten to be um, a really fun thing that I've done online that just kind of 
grew organically and people seem to really enjoy it. Even like comedians that you know. So like John Lovitz will pipe in. Um, yeah. That's great. And plus you get some extra material you could use in your next show. No, so. no, I would never do that without <laughs> buying a joke. And I have I, bought a few jokes. Somebody sent me jokes just for this gig. Oh, wow. For the Chinese restaurant. And I bought two of them. No kidding. That's, I did because they were really funny. And uh, he saw that I was going to be on this show. And he said, how about these jokes? So, you know, I usually write my own material or my husband helps me. But this was these were uh, apropos. So there are six shows. December 23rd through the 25th. Both my husband and I have family up there, so it's going to be a really nice reunion, and I'm going to meet some people that I've seen over the past five times that I've been there, six times that I've been there. And and if you're Jewish, it definitely gives you something to do over Christmas. I mean... What could be better? It's perfect, and, and the food you said is good. That's yeah. I've been to the Imperial Palace. Terrific. I I don't know what kind of meat it is though. I can't vouch for that. <laughs> I, I, I don't eat meat actually. There you go. <laughs> I want to thank Wendy Lieben for a great visit here on Two Jewish. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rabbi, and happy holidays. Thank you. You too. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest. Get a final musical play out. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki Tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Too Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Rabbi Jeffrey Salkin, author of Tikkun Ha'am, Repairing Our People, Israel and the Crisis of Liberal Judaism. Please join us at Congregation Beis Simcha every Friday night. Services and owning Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, 2, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, in person and on our Facebook page led by me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Play out today comes from Israeli singer Osher Cohen, and it's called Ahava, Love. My friends, may you have a Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week, and a week we pray profoundly of justice and peace. <laughs> את מושכת אותי ואני שוב נופל את שוברת דברים ואני מקלל את רעה זה כואב ואני ככה איתך כשאת בוכה שם לבד זה מעדכן לי את הלב אני שנייה מלבוא לישון לך על הכאב אבל עשית לי צרות ציוטים בלילות כמו שפגעת בי לא פגעו בי גם אלפי כישלונות Sponsored by Two Jewish Radio Programs, Tucson, Arizona.